Well, we've been talking, <coughs> excuse me, we've been talking in the last few weeks about issues having to do or, or revolving around the return of Christ. And there is so much on this topic that we are simply not able to cover in this series. So we're just kind of hitting the highlights. We're getting a you know, a 30,000-foot view, you know, looking down. We're, we're getting this view from here to where we're just getting the highlights and not going into all the details. But there are things in here that we do need to understand and do need to, to know. You know, in week one, we talked about that the fact that since Christ is indeed returning, He is indeed returning, we know that. Uh, he, he, he told us that, and... Um, we need to be able to we need to live our lives in a state of constant readiness where we're always ready for his return we're always waiting for his return we're expecting his return that expectancy and that anticipation of his return that's how we are to live our lives and then in week 2 we talked about the fact that we want to make certain that our lives are solidly grounded in the truth of God's word. And that's that's part of being ready to know what God's word says and to ground our lives in that. You know, we don't just think things or, you know, have beliefs that we just, well, somebody said this and it sounded good. Um, we ground our beliefs in God's Word, and that includes our beliefs about Christ's return and what that's going to look like and, and, and so forth. Um, because, you know, so many people over, for one thing, so many people over the years have tried to set dates, and it's going to happen in this time, or it's going to look for this, and then you've got this much time after that and all of that, and, and it, it just simply, you can't do that because no one knows. No one knows whether Christ is going to return in five minutes or 500 years or any time in between. We don't know. In fact, when Jesus was on this earth, he said that he didn't even know. Only the Father knew the time that was set, the time that was appointed for Christ to return. So, uh, uh, you know, he didn't even know when he was on this earth. Uh, so we want to be solidly grounded and know what we believe and ground that in the truth of God's Word. Uh, last week, we had a fun topic, didn't we? We talked about persecution. How many of you left here last week thinking, oh boy, I hope it comes to me now? You know, <laughs> it's, it's not something we always like to talk about, but it is something that's very real and there's going to be a time of intense tribulation and persecution uh, of the church uh, preceding Christ's return. There's going, to be, there's going to be a tribulation that comes upon the earth, and at the same time there's going to be a persecution where the world persecutes the church. Um, and, and we talked about the fact that not only is, uh, is, is that the case, but the truth is the church has been persecuted ever since its inception, ever since uh, uh, Stephen was, was martyred in the book of Acts. The church has been persecuted since then, and you know, from the, from the time of the apostles all the way up to the present day. And we talked about the fact that 340 million Christians live in countries with high levels of persecution. 
That number is mind-boggling. It just blows my mind to think of that. And I read stories every single day. I'm reading accounts of modern-day or present-day, I should say, present-day believers who are being persecuted. They're being beaten. They're being martyred. Their homes are being burnt. They're being chased out of their towns and their villages, whatever it is. They're, you know, uh, uh, financially persecuted throughout the world simply for one reason— they believe in Jesus. Their faith is in Jesus. And um, we need to be praying for them. Well, today I want to look primarily at some things that Jesus said about his return. Um, we'll look at a few other scriptures too, but primarily I'm looking at things that Jesus himself spoke about his return. And we're going to be uh, uh, looking at Matthew 24. This is known as the Olivet Discourse. And because this passage, Matthew 24, along with, uh, it has a parallel passage in uh, Mark 13 and in Luke 21, that's the place where Jesus spoke most in depth about his return. We're not going to hit every verse. Uh, in fact, there's some you know, big areas we're going to be leaving out, but uh, we're going to hit some highlights of this. Now, the chapter starts out, I always like to, to get the setting to know, you know, kind of set us up so that we're, we're there, you know, when he's, when he's speaking. We're, you know, understanding, we, we uh, understand what just happened or what the setting is. Jesus is, uh, you know, we, the, the, the chapter opens up with Jesus leaving the temple area with the disciples. And it's interesting, this is the last time that Jesus would leave the temple area, not, never to go back, okay? He's leaving the temple area, and his disciples start pointing out the temple, the beauty, the grandeur of the temple, and, and the structure, and saying how beautiful it is. Look at this, Jesus. Isn't this wonderful? Isn't this marvelous? Isn't, you know, this is so, it's just breathtaking. They're, they're talking about the beauty of the temple, and then Jesus responds by telling him that one day, it's all coming down. So yeah, it's beautiful, guys, but listen, one day, this is all coming down. And by way, by, uh, as a matter of fact, that happened like uh, 40 years later when the temple was destroyed by the Romans. It came down. Uh, and then uh, after saying that, Jesus begins to tell his disciples what it's going to be like as we get closer and closer to his return. Uh, what it's going to be like as we approach the time leading up to his return. Specifically, there are five things I want to look at that he talked about. Five signs that, it's, that, that you know, we can look at and say, okay, we're starting to get closer to his return. How many know that we've been in the last days ever since uh, uh, the time of the Apostles? Okay, this church age that we're in, that's considered the last days, you know, from, from the time of the uh, 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 death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus un until now. That's the last days, but we're talking about approaching the last of the last days, okay, the, the end of time and so forth. So uh, five things that, that we're going, that tell us, five signs tell us we're beginning to get closer to that time beginning to get closer to when he returns. He begins, first of all, by telling him that we're going to be seeing an increase in religious deception. Be an increase in religious deception. Verses uh, uh, 3 to 5 and then verse 11, I want to read. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him, pro came to him privately. Tell us, they said, 
When will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? You know, when's it all going to come down, Jesus? Just tell us now. And Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I'm the Messiah and will deceive many. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Now, as I read that, you know, I'm thinking, you know, it sounds kind of crazy because how could anyone be deceived by someone coming along and saying, I am Christ? I'm him. I've returned. I mean, you ever wonder that? You ever think now, come on, is that really going to happen? It's hard to believe that, but there have been a number throughout history that have. In fact, I came across a, uh, an article online recently. Uh, this guy was taking photographs of like seven, I think it was 17 people current day that claimed to be the second coming of Christ. 17. And that's just the ones he interviewed. I'm sure there's more than that, as hard as it is to believe. But you know what's even more amazing to me that, that, than that? The fact there are, that there are that many and probably more claiming that they are the Christ? There's people that believe it. They've got disciples. They've got followers. I'm thinking, seriously? How could anyone believe that? They've got followers. Now, along with false Christ, Jesus said there would be false prophets that will deceive many people. The reason this happens and the reason that religious persecu or, uh, persecution, religious deception increases is because we live in a time in which people don't know their Bibles. Christians don't know the scriptures, don't know their Bibles. There's some new research out by one of the top two, possibly the top uh, uh, as far as reliability and accuracy of uh, uh, the state of the church and, and religious affairs and so forth, says that 80% of, uh, of Americans say that they believe in God. 80% say that they believe in God, okay? Now, first thing is, which God do you believe in? You know, just saying, I believe in God, eh, that could mean a whole slew of things. Do you believe in the Judeo-Christian God? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? You know, but 80% say they believe in some kind of God, some kind of how, higher power that there's someone out there. Only 18% of Americans... And this is what's really shocking. Only 18% of Americans believe that faith in Jesus is the only way to heaven. 18%. And I think that was actually, yeah, 18%. So that's almost, a, not quite a fifth. Believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Most Christians believe that there's another way to heaven there's another way to God than Jesus. Now, right away, I'm thinking, in order to believe that, you've got to say that Jesus didn't know what he was talking about because he said he was the only way to the Father. So it, it just it, it blows my mind. People are quick to believe anything that sounds good to them. Sounds like, oh, that sounds like something I'd like to believe. Yeah, I think I'll adopt that belief. 
And that's why, you know, in, in this church, we are constantly, constantly encouraging people to get in the Bible for themselves. And if someone doesn't have a Bible, we've got Bibles out there. They're free. You can take one. We need to be in the Word. Ever since Lisa and I gave our lives to Christ, we've been, you know, we've believed in, in, in getting Bible in the, Bibles in the hands of anybody that wants them, anybody that doesn't have one, so that people can read for themselves. Because we know what a difference it'll make in a person's life when they start to read it and apply it to themselves. It's the best way to protect against spiritual deception is to get into the Word and find out what it says and listen to, to, to solid teaching, find out what it says. Second thing Jesus said, we're going to see an increase in both human and natural catastrophes. Verse 6 of Matthew 24, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. As we get closer to the time, we're going to see an increase in things like war, things like famines, things like uh, 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 earthquakes, natural disasters. It's like things are going to begin to intensify. We're going to see more and more. And, and as we see that, as we begin to see that, you know, it doesn't mean that, that you know, Christ's return is right at the door, but it means we need to pay attention because we're getting closer. You know, Jesus said it's still not the end, but it does mean it's getting closer. It's like a woman in labor. The closer she gets to delivering her baby, the more frequent and more intense the labor pains become. That's the, that's the picture he's giving here. Another sign we're getting closer will be an increase in persecution, which is accompanied by apostasy, often is accompanied by apostasy. Persecution and apostasy will increase. Verses 9 and 10, he says, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. How many are starting to feel really encouraged? Right? I mean, this is stuff we don't always like to talk about. But we need to. We need to know this. We talked about persecution last week, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it today. Just... But I do want to make it clear that persecution is because we are following Jesus, okay? It's not because of anything else. It's not because we might be acting strange or we might be acting weird or it might, you know, or, or super religious or super spiritual or anything. It's because we are following Jesus. It's because we don't accept the world's values. It's because we don't share the same goals and dreams as the world does. We're not going for the same thing. Our target's not the same. We don't have the same perspective of the world we, a, 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 as the world does because we're following Jesus. We're different because this world is not our home. This is not our home. I, I love how Larry Norman used to say, we're only visiting this planet. You know, it's, it's not our home. Now, the thing about persecution is it has a way of weeding out those who are not serious about 
or who are not grounded in their faith, they tend to fall away. They tend to just just fall off, and that that's what that's what um, apostasy is. Just you know, falling away. Thing about persecution is persecution will either drive you away from the faith or drive you deeper into the faith. It'll do one or the other, and you know which is really dependent on on the choices we make and uh, how we prepare beforehand. And the Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy 4.1, he said, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. And that's a, a, a warning that we need to take heed of, we need to listen to, because, you know, it's, it's not necessarily talking about a, an outright rejection of Jesus. It's, it's really a warning to beware of false teachers who are teaching things that may sound spiritual and may make sense to the natural mind, but they come from demons. And their goal is to try to draw people away from the true faith. And we're not talking about denominational issues. We're not talking about anything like that because... You know, whatever label you put over the door, if, if, if you know, you have a relationship with Jesus and, and you're his child, then, then you know, you're, you're, you're saved. You know, it's not a matter of, well, I go to the right church. There's a lot of right churches. You know, God has one church. You know that? The body of Christ, there's one church. Not one denomination, not one label over the door, but the body of Christ made up of congregations, and we differ on some things, but we agree on the essentials. But these false teachers come in and try to pull people away from the true faith. You know, they may look and sound like they have the appearance of being spiritual, but their spirituality doesn't line up with the truth of the gospel. And we're seeing this in our day now. More and more churches are saying, well, pretty much anything goes. God is a God of love, which is true. God is a God of love, so whatever you want to do is fine. And that's not right. That's not right. So, all right, uh, next sign. Jesus said that disregard for the law will increase while love will decrease. Verse 12, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. The NIV uses the word wickedness. Other translations, such as uh, uh, the New American Standard, and that use words like lawlessness. Some use the word sin. Some use the word iniquity. It's speaking about a disregard for the law, a disregard for what's right, and what's wrong. And we have that in our society, right? I mean, because so much, doesn't our society teach that, you know, well, what's, you know, my truth is different than your truth. What's right for me is, is, is you know, not necessarily right for you and, and so forth. And we kind of teach everybody's their own judge of, of what is right and what is wrong. There is no absolute truth. That's what our society is telling us. It's just a, it's a, I just want to do what I'm going to do. I just want to do what I want to do kind of mentality. I'm going to make my own rules. You have no right to judge me or tell me how to live. It's my life. It's a free country. I can do what I want with no regard of what is right or what is wrong 
or how my decisions affect other people. And the result of that mindset is we start caring less and less about other people because everything is centered on me. Everything is centered on myself. The love which at one time burned deep within our hearts for God and for others starts to grow cold. You know, the church at Ephesus saw their love grow cold. Revelation 2, Jesus commended them for their good works, commended them for their perseverance. But then he said, but I've got this against you. You've left your first love. In other words, you don't love like you used to love. Therefore, he says to them, remember from where you have fallen, remember where you were, and repent. Change your ways. He warned them to repent and begin to cultivate that love again. He goes on to say that if they don't, he says, I'll just remove the church. See, that's how serious this is. I don't like to get serious, but that's how serious this is. As Christ's return gets closer, we are going to see the love of many just grow cold, kind of fizzle. Well, yeah, I love Jesus, but I really want to do what I want to do. So far, all of these things we've talked about have painted a pretty grim picture, haven't they? I mean, you've got deception, you've got wars, you've got earthquakes, you've got persecution, you've got apostasy, you've got lawlessness, you've got love growing cold. I mean, it, it's... Almost sounds like a country song. Um, you know, <clears throat> okay. Um, or at least a good miniseries. Um, so far, you know, everything just continues to spiral downhill. But here's the neat thing Jesus isn't done. He's not done. There's one more sign I want us to mention, and that is this the spread of the gospel, that's going to increase. It's going to increase. There will be an increase in the spread of the gospel as it is preached to all nations, to all people groups around the world. After talking about all the rest of these things, the deception, the wars, rumors of wars, catastrophes and persecutions and apostasy and lawlessness and love growing cold, Jesus then says this in verse 13. He says, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Not everybody, but he says the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. I want to tell you right now, if you are struggling, if you are having a hard time, stand firm and be encouraged in this because there is a payoff to your perseverance. There is a payoff to perseverance. You may think nobody sees me, but Jesus does. God sees you. He is El Roy, the God who sees. He sees your perseverance and he takes note of it. And then Jesus said in verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then, then the end will come. 
Not everyone will fall away. Not everyone will see their love grow cold. Not everyone will disregard the law. Some will stand firm. Some will remain faithful. Some will continue to do the work of the kingdom and spread the gospel to all nations. Nothing can stop God's work. The good news of the kingdom will continue to spread until it fills the whole earth. When that happens, Jesus said, that's when the end will come. Now this brings us up to the time of Christ's return. Two things I want, us, I want to point out with this. There's a lot that we could say, but there's two things I really want us to, to uh, walk away here today knowing. And that is, first of all, Christ's return is going to be sudden, and it's going to be visible to all. When he comes back, it'll be when we least expect it. When he comes back, there won't be any need to question, you know, uh, was, well, was that it? Did I hear something about it? Um, did you hear anything about it? It will be sudden, and it will be visible to the whole earth. Listen how Jesus described it in verse 27. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west. Now, do you ever know when lightning is coming? No, it's just like all of a sudden, boom, there it is. When lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Now, it's a strange you know, reference there, but it's talking about, it's making a reference to the judgment that will take place when Christ returns. And then he continues, verse 29, he says, immediately after the distress of those days. Now, in a number of translations, New American Standard, the ESV, the KJV, and others, that word, the word that is used there is tribulation. In the tribu- immediately after the tribulation of those days. This takes place after this time of tribulation that we've referenced before, not before it. The church will be on the earth for the tribulation. I know a lot of people don't believe that. A lot of, uh, of sincere believers who love Jesus do not believe that the church will be here for the uh, for the, this time of tribulation, but that we will be raptured away or taken away. And, um, uh, but that's not what it says in the Scripture. And I want to, let, let, let's go on. I want you to, to, to hear this. <clears throat> Rather than escaping it, God is going to preserve the church through it. Now let's read on. The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. There will be, in other words, there will be celestial signs in heaven, in the heavens. Then will appear the sign of the Son, and man, Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds and from, the, uh, from one end of the heavens to the other. So, so you know, he, he, the, the, there's going to be a, a loud trumpet, and the angels will gather the elect, will gather the believers, will gather the church from one end of the heavens to the other. This is not talking about a secret rapture of the church where the church is, 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 is secretly disaway, uh, uh, taken away and disappears. This is visible 
and it's after the time of the tribulation. The angels will gather God's people and meet the Lord in the clouds. So the angels are going to come, gather God's people, we'll meet the Lord in the clouds, and we will be with him as he returns visibly to earth. We'll be with him. The people of the earth will mourn and they will be terrified because Christ's return will be a judgment of the wicked. Christ's return will be a judgment of those who rejected him, those who refused him, those who mocked him. Let's look at, start reading in verse 37 of Matthew 24. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. (laughs) That's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mi- with the mill, with a hand mill. One will be taken, the other left. This is all going to happen as people are going about their normal daily lives. Could be a Monday morning. Could be a Tuesday afternoon. Could be a Wednesday evening. We don't know when. But we do know this can happen as people are just going about their every, you know, everyday lives, going about the normal business of their lives, just as it was in the day of Noah when the flood came. They had no idea what was about to happen. Now, some people point to this passage to say, see, that's, that's the rapture. That's when the church is taken away. That's when the church is taken out of the, you know, and, and will escape the tribulation. And, and you know, at, the, at, the, at the beginning of the tribulation. But the thing is, when you look at the passage, it's not what it teaches. For one thing, verse 29 says this happens immediately after the tribulation of those days. But then there's more. When Jesus said, two men will be working in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding a handmill, and one will be taken, the other left. I want to ask you this question. Who's taken and who's left? And how can we know? Well, we're told at the beginning of the passage, as we look into scriptures, it tells us at the time of Noah, people are going about their daily business, clueless as to what, would, what was about to happen. And verse 39 says they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. Ask yourself, who was taken and who was left? Let's read it again. They knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. It was the wicked that were taken. They were taken away to judgment by the floodwaters. Noah and his family are the ones who were left. They entered the ark. They were saved from the judgment that came. They were preserved through it while the people on earth were taken away in judgment. Noah and his family were safe in the ark. When the floodwaters receded, they exited the ark 
and they were the only ones that were left. When Christ returns and the people of the earth are judged, only those who are in Christ will be left. Only those who are in Christ will be saved. Now, I used to believe that we would be taken away. I used to believe that because that's what I was taught. And then something made me begin to question and something made me begin to look into the scripture for myself, reading it through a clean lens as much as I could, not through the lens of what had previously been taught me. And that thing was that, that caused me to start looking into it more. I, 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 I found out that the apostles, the apostles believed that the church was going to be here and go through the time of the tribulation. And not only the, the, not only the apostles, but throughout church history, all the way up until about the year 1830, right around there, uh, at that, uh, uh, that, that's what the church believed, that the church would be here. Around the year 1830, a man by the name of John Nelson Darby came up with this theory that the church would be raptured away and escape the tribulation, which I, I admit, I mean, it sounds good. And if I am wrong about this, I will welcome being wrong, okay? Because... I don't want to go through a tribulation. If it happens in my lifetime, I don't want to go through it. But I can't base my beliefs on what I want to happen. I can't base my beliefs on the fact that I'd just as soon escape it all. I've got to base my beliefs on what the Scripture says. And the church taught and believed all throughout its history up until the year about 1830 that the church would be here during on the earth during this time of tribulation it's not time to go into detail about all the every verse and passage about the second coming but there is one more passage i do want to mention because this is another one that people point to it's in 1 Thessalonians 4:16 and 17 Paul says, for the Lord himself will come, from, will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Again, it's another passage that teaches that the church is going to be caught up and will miss the, the, um, the time of tribulation. But when you look at it, there is nothing in this passage or anywhere in Scripture that explicitly says that we will not be here for the tribulation. Nothing that says we will escape it. And there's plenty that says we're going through it. Nothing in history supports the fact of the church escaping tribulation. So here's how I believe it'll happen, how I, believe, how I see Scripture teaching. The world's going to go through a time of this terrible tribulation, unlike anything that it's ever seen before. Many, not all, 
but many believe it'll be a period that'll last seven years. Some people believe that seven years is symbolic. That's neither here nor there for our purposes. Okay, I, I believe that's going to be seven years. I may be wrong in that. I don't know. But I, I but you know, so many believe that that it will last for seven years. But the the fact is, the important thing is, it's going to come. It's going to come on the earth, and during that time, God's going to pour out His judgment on all the wicked of the earth, all those who are not followers of Jesus. He's going to pour out their uh, uh, His wrath on them, not on the church. The church is not subject to God's wrath because Jesus has already taken God's wrath for our sin. He bore that on the cross. That's what the cross was all about. He bore God's wrath for sin for us, or wrath on sin for us, so that we don't have to. Okay, But it's going to be poured out at this time, uh, judgment on the wicked of the earth, and, and, and you can read about this in Revelation. Um, um, it's become one of my favorite books lately. It's a whole lot more that I don't understand in the book, to be honest, than I do. But the more I see, the more I'm thinking, yeah, God's, you know, I'm, I'm getting some understanding, and God's doing something here. But he, he, it, it talks about a time of his wrath being poured out. And believers will suffer through great persecution by the world. There will be an intensifying persecution that the believers who are here will suffer. At the end of the seven years, the Lord will descend from heaven. Those believers who remain on the earth will be gathered to meet him in the sky and then together will return with the Lord immediately as he judges the world. There's a whole lot more, but that's it in a nutshell. Now, why am I bothering to teach all this? Does it really matter? Depends on what you mean by that question. If we mean that, that, that you know, is this a matter of whether I'm saved or not? No. I mean, there are, there are sincere, fully committed believers who are fully devoted to Jesus Christ, who believe that Jesus Christ, that, 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 that you know, he's coming back, and they hold different views in this. They believe they're going to be taken away or so forth, or believe in a different uh, sequence of events and so forth. But they're still our brothers and sisters. They love the Lord. This is not a point of division. So in that matter, it, in, in that respect, it doesn't matter. But there's another thing that we need to look at. And that is, if you believe that we are all going to be taken away and escape the tribulation, which history doesn't bear in the church, the church hasn't believed that all these years, but if that's what you believe, chances are you're not likely to prepare for the tribulation because you won't see it as necessary. Right? I mean, you won't see, and by prepare, I don't mean prepping. I don't mean stockpiling food, stockpiling guns, stockpiling weapons, putting a tank in your front yard, you know, uh, or, or, or like, you know, like, like a sign I saw posted in a house after Katrina when we went down to Pascagoula, you know, we'll shoot first, ask questions later, and they were serious. Um, I, I don't mean anything like that. Remember when Y2K hit? 
we didn't know what was going to happen. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't know what was going to happen. And a lot of people were saying, stockpile food, stockpile water, stockpile this. And I encourage people, I didn't use the word stockpile, but I said, get some extra food, get some extra water, get some you know, extra this, extra that. And, and store up some extra in your house just in case there is something to this. But it's not so that we could be, oh, I'm taken care of. It's so that the church could be the church. And if something happened, the church would be prepared and the church would be ready to help other people. Now, thank God I was wrong. None of the predictions happened. But if it had happened we had some extra stuff that we could share with people. And that's what I encourage. See, the church is never just looking out for itself. The church is always looking out for others, for other believers and for others who aren't believers. That's how we love this world. That's how we love the people of this world. Where was I? Um, yeah, prepping. We need, to be, we, need to, we need to be prepared so that our faith is grounded and we are solid and that if we see this time in our lifetime that we can be those that stand faithful, that stand firm in our faith. That's why it matters. That's why it matters. We need to be grounded in our faith. We need to know why we believe what we believe. We don't all need a degree in theology or something like that, but we need to become more and more familiar with the Bible and the things that it teaches, the truths that it teaches, the warnings that it gives us, the encouragement that it gives us, the instruction that it gives us so that we can know the heart of God. We want to know his heart. We want to know his love. Now, God is a God of love. God is a God of compassion. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of grace. He's long-suffering. But the time is coming when those who don't know him will suffer his wrath for rejection, rejecting him. I'm making certain that I'm not one that rejects him. I want to be as close to him as I can. And I don't want to be as close to him as I can by myself. I want to bring as many people as I can along with me. Say, you need to know this God. Here's one aspect of him. Here's another aspect of him. You need to get to know him. He's your creator. He loves you. He wants relationship with you. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Everybody close your eyes for a moment. <laughs> if Jesus came back right now, where do you stand spiritually with him?
Are you ready? Have you come to the place where you have put your faith in Him and said, yes, I've blown it. Yes, I've lived my life, you know, just doing what I want and, and you know, by my own rules and by my own, you know, ideas and thoughts of what was good and just kind of pushed God to the side. But I want to say yes to Jesus. And I want to receive his gift of life. This isn't a thing of just escaping hell. This is a thing of knowing Jesus, your creator, your Lord, your savior. Having a relationship with him and loving him. See, we can raise our hand and in a church service and say, yeah, I, I, I want this option, not that option, so count me in. But unless we're willing to live it out in our lives and, and, and that's really what we believe and where our trust is, it doesn't really mean anything. If you're here today and you've never taken the step of saying yes to Jesus, he's inviting you to do that now. Or maybe you have taken that step, but things have gotten in the way. Life has happened. Pandemic has happened. Politics has happened. Everything has gotten in the way, and it's like he's been pushed to the side. And you want to bring him back to the forefront. To where he is what really matters in your life. Because he loves you. If either of those is the case, with everybody's eyes closed, I just want you to slip up your hand real quick. Just going to take a minute here. Yes. Yes. Yes, I see that. Okay, you can put them down. I want to encourage you to pray this with me. And I want to ask everybody else to join in because we don't want anybody singled out or feeling like they're on the spot. But if you raised your hand and you're saying, yeah, that's me. It's not the words that we say. It's what's in our heart when we say it. But pray with me now. Dear Jesus, I've been far from you. I confess I've not made you a priority. I've been living life on my own terms. I want that to stop now. I invite you into my life. I'm sorry for my sin. I want to change my ways. I want you front and center. I want you as the object of my love. I want a relationship with you. 
It takes me through the strong times and the weak times. Remove my sin far from me and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, get into your word. Get into the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some out on the table. If you need help, we can help you with getting started in it. I would start by reading the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. First four books of the, of the New Testament. Start by reading those. Get on maybe a reading plan with, with um, you can, there's a, a Bible app put out by Uversion, has tons of reading plans on, uh, plans on every topic, everything you could think of, the plans are in there. It's not just enough to know, or it's, excuse me, it's not just enough to believe that God is there. Our faith must be in His Son, Jesus. He's our salvation. And He's coming back again. And when your relationship is solid with Him, and you're grounded in Him, you can look for that day with faith and anticipation and be excited about it. Because then you have nothing to fear. Let's stand. Hold your hands out or just prepare your heart for a blessing. Now to Him who is able to protect you from stumbling... And He is able. He is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. God bless you. Go and have a great week.